Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of The Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello, and welcome to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I just had a fantastic conversation with our colleague Sumner Brooks, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified eating disorder specialist based in Portland, Oregon. So you might remember a previous episode with Amy Severson, where Amy spoke about her and Sumner writing a book together. Well, this little baby has been born and it's called How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, Raising the Next Generation with Food and Body Confidence. So in our conversation today, Sumner and I kind of take a dive all the way through different aspects of the book. But what we really talk about is the tone of the book, which has been done so beautifully. There's this kind of balance between directness and compassion, which Sumner and Amy, I have no doubt at all, did really deliberately to kind of really bring in this sense of, I see you, I'm with you, this can be different for you, this can be different for your family, and really sets a tone of holding compassionately the parent or the adult's uh, experiences as they're reading the book. So it's not just about food and eating, as we could expect from Sumner and Amy, but it also takes a dive into our own relationships with our own bodies and how we can heal from uh, what, what some people may name as trauma and disconnection from our own food, eating and body relationships and how we can make these shifts over time and with support and with kindness to really provide a different environment for our own kids and for the young people in our own lives. So we also talk about the three keys, as Sumner and Amy call them, in the book, which I really, really like. So we talk in detail about these three keys. And then at the very end of the book is kind of my favourite part, and this is what to do when things feel harder than you thought or we thought. Uh, and I think this is a really beautiful way that ties the whole concepts that, that, that Amy and, and Sumner speak about through the, through the book um, and uh, ties it all up with a really nice bow as to, you know, how, what you can expect in terms of roadblocks. So I want you to, to tell you a little bit about Sumner, apart from her being a registered dietitian nutritionist. She's been working with clients on all levels of the disordered eating spectrum for over 15 years. Sumner is a mum herself and has put her knowledge, intuition and parenting skills of intuitive eating to the test in real life. So you'll hear Sumner give us some examples here, especially some recent examples. And what you'll hear is Sumner's beautiful, um, humble approach to life where, you know, she says, well, I, you know, I step in it as well, you know, and that repairing is, is the most important aspect of, of, um, you know, working together with our kids when, you know, when we, when we step in it ourselves. So Sumner, you probably know Sumner best as the founder of 
the online training platform for weight inclusive eating disorder professionals, which is geared towards dietitians and it's called EDRD Pro. Uh, I'm a member of EDRD Pro and I have been uh, a speaker also for EDRD Pro um, and a co-facilitator in uh, their courses. And it's a, it's a, it's a platform that I thoroughly believe in and can get behind 110%. And I, I just really appreciate Sumner and, and all her work over the many, many years that, that we have been working together and um, that Sumner has been serving this community. So you can find out more about how to raise an intuitive eater. Uh, there is a link in the bio directly to the book as well as all the book launch uh, tour dates which are all online as well as if you are lucky enough to be in Bellingham Washington for their live event then oh so sad I won't be there but if you can be there then that is absolutely fantastic and uh, wishing Sumner and Amy well in the launch of of the book um, and I, I really hope you enjoy this conversation it's a I really enjoyed it. I always enjoy my uh, my chats with with Sumner. Um, and if you want to find out more about the Mindful Dietitian and everything that that I offer there, including uh, courses, uh, short and long, um, of course, the rest of the podcast episodes, um, and all kinds of information about supervision and supervisory practice and um, other uh, non diet weight inclusive care. Um, topics, you can find out more at The Mindful Dietitian, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. Happy New Year, everybody, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sumner Brooks. Hello, Sumner, and welcome to The Mindful Dietitian podcast. Hi, Fiona. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm just saying I have a scratchy voice today, um, getting over a little bug. So thanks for bearing, bearing with me. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think a scratchy voice is what we can expect from you after such a busy year. Well, several years, actually. So not only have you been woof, prolifically supporting the EDRD Pro community, but also you have been co-authoring an amazing book, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, me too. Thank you. So in the last episode of the podcast, I had an excellent conversation with Signa Darpinian, who I know that you're familiar with Signa and her co-authors. Uh, so Signa co-authored Raising Body Positive Teens. So this book is really more for, for parents of teenagers. So the timing for your and Amy's book could not be better because what I found different was that Raising how to raise an intuitive eater your and amy's book really took a broader and deeper look at how we've got here how diet culture has influenced our parenting um the the, the foodie kind of culture um eating behaviors uh, mental health and parenting and how we were raised ourselves and so you know anyone with youngsters can really benefit from you know reading this book it's, it's absolutely amazing so my, my, I guess where I'd love to start is for you, why now? Like, why do you feel like it's more critical now than ever that parents and people with young people in their lives, as your subtitle says, how to raise the next generation with food and body confidence? Yes. So why now? I mean, it's a great question. And part of me thinks not now we needed it 
50 years ago. Um, but now there's no better time than now, really. I think there's three big things that come to mind. One of them is we are really in a new paradigm now than we were even 10, 20, 30 years ago. So we're now living in a world that has evolved in many ways with regards to noticing the harm of diet culture, more awareness of disordered eating and eating disorders, but also really evolving in the sense of inclusivity and social justice. And what I notice, and especially through some of the research and the writing process of the book, is a lot of parenting advice has evolved along with that. And there is a great number of wonderful books, you know, focused on child psychology and development and parenting. And yet there really still is hardly anything out there for parents specifically around this evolution of how we can approach feeding with kids. So I see it as <clears throat> critical that we and give something to parents and really to the audience to help them also evolve in this way that we're not just continuing to repeat these same, you know, generational patterns that, that we do when we parent. I mean, when we become a parent for the first time, we've never had these experiences before. The thing that we know is what we saw and what was done around us and to us. And, and we just go right back there to that old stuff and there's an entire new audience, especially of younger people and new parents and future parents that are aware that that's not what they want to be doing. And so this is going to be a tool for those readers. Yeah, I mean, what you're pointing to there is that we tend to either repeat what has been what we have been exposed to, or we tend to do somehow push back in the opposite way. Um, you know, to what we were exposed to. And often these things are really unconscious, aren't they? Or not, not necessarily up at the conscious level where, you know, what we, what we have been exposed to ourselves, um, just simply maybe even our neurobiology has been wired in that way. So, yeah, I really, I really appreciate you pointing us to the fact that, you know, when we can become aware of, how we were raised ourselves, you know, and, and a lot of your readers are going to have, be, have been raised in perhaps arguably maybe the 70s and 80s, maybe, you know, diet culture central. That was where a lot of parents, a lot of grandparents were very, very concerned with their own food and bodies and influenced today's parents. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it really becomes imprinted on us. You know, I, I think about literally this was yesterday. Um, we just had family in town for like 10 days. My husband is driving them to the airport. So, you know, I'm with the kids at home. We're all in this transition, like kind of time. The grandparents are gone. We still have nothing to do. We're kind of snowed in. So my son, who's four, was just hitting my daughter hitting her with a pillow, hitting her with a stuffy, whatever he could find. As soon as I'd walk out of the room, he's hitting her. She's yelling. I'm like, please stop hitting, you know, how, and then it got to this point. I said to him, if you don't stop hitting her, you're going to go to your room and you're not going to have dinner. And I thought, where did that come from? Like, I have never said that before. We do not do that. That's not a parenting practice of ours, but it just came out. And I think what I'm talking about is this stuff is just really deep in us. We're often in parenting, we're grasping for like, what do I do? This is hard. I don't know how to proceed. We can't control these little people. And 
when, you know, food is something that we are interacting with and engaging with five, six, seven, 10 times a day. And it's a really important area where we can have awareness about how, what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're modeling is really going to have an impact. Those are thousands and thousands of opportunities where kids are learning from us what to think about food, what to think about bodies. And so, um, yeah, exactly right. That we just, we, we don't know how to do it. And we hope that this book answers some of those questions for parents that, you know, they're not just going to be searching for that inner kind of part of them that's saying they're going to send the kid to their room without dinner. <laughs> Maybe yes. there's a better solution. <laughs> so on that note, I'm so, I'm so curious if you feel willing to share, of course, um, you know, at, at what you did in that moment, because I think that what you do, what you and Amy have done in this book so beautifully, and we'll come back to this, is you found this beautiful tone of directness and compassion which has been so beautiful. And so I'm curious if, if you don't mind using this particular example, um, because you do talk about, you know, when we mess it up and we will, or when we realize that we're repeating something that we would prefer not to, or when something comes up from the less conscious to the more conscious, you know, what we actually do with that. So do you mind using that example as to, you know, what did you do after that? Yeah. So he, you know, my son sort of looked at me like that is the strangest thing I've ever heard you say, you know, yeah. it, it didn't end up being a big deal at all because honestly he knew his little four-year-old body and, and mind knew that, that he was never going to be hungry or not, you know, mm. get to have dinner. So if that's something that's repeated over and over, surely that's going to right, develop into a fear and anxiety of not being able to have the food that you need. But in our case, that wasn't the sense, but I did acknowledge, okay, Sawyer, I need to, I, what I needed to do is talk to him and spend some time with him. Right. Mm -hmm. So his, him hitting his sister is, is sending a message to me. Sure. Um, and so I just realized I'm at my breaking point. If I'm saying something like that, that I don't even mean and didn't even intend to say. So really to me, that was just a message of like, I need to settle in here. I need to spend some time with him. I need to help him kind of regulate what's going on for him emotionally so that he stops taking it out on his sister. Um, and so, yes, we talk about in the book, how to repair, and we can say things like, Oh, you know, mommy didn't even mean to say that. Um, I'm trying to think of what I actually did say to him. Um, I think it was so not a thing because it's not something that happens in our house that we didn't um, need to really address it, you know, head on. Overtly, yeah. Um, so, and that's, that's a good point too, is that a lot of the messages that we are sending in parenting, but, but with food are not things that we're saying with words, right? They're things that we are actions that we're doing patterns that we are presenting. Um, and when something does come up though, if I had said something, you know, maybe critical to my child about their body, or if I had said something judgmental about the, the way that they were eating, I certainly would, um, hope for myself that I could take some time and, and apologize and clarify either what I meant or what kind of feeling or emotion I may have been having. Um, and because kids do need that clarity, right? They need really clear communication in a, in a way that they can understand. Yeah, because as humans, and especially the younger humans in our lives, they'll fill in the gaps. If they don't hear it from us, they'll fill in the gaps with their previous experience, what they imagine we're thinking and believing and 
um, you know, and that then, as you said just before, you know, that then becomes their imprint. So it's, yeah, um, yeah I really appreciate you, you saying, you know, it is, these, these overt conversations actually are really important, um, not only for the purposes of repair, which is relationally so important, but then also to reduce the chances that they'll just fill in the gaps with, oh, what I think somebody else is thinking and then starts the mind reading business. Yeah, absolutely. And we can, we see kids doing that sometimes, right? Because you know that they've come home from school or somewhere else and they are getting pieces of information. They're hearing things mm -hmm. about food rules and there's a lot of sugar talk in our house lately that I'm picking up on. Um, Ugh, and from school. they do fill in the gaps. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From school, I think mostly, because mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the only place my kids are at this point um, outside the house a lot. But um, I, I just think you, it's almost like you can see it, right? You can see them kind of developing and trying to make sense of all of this information that may be coming in and the way that people talk about bodies, the way that they see bodies on shows and TVs. And we can really do our best to be tuned into that, to when, how we're observing, maybe over the weeks and months of things that they're saying sound a little bit different. And I wonder where that's coming from. I personally do a lot of um, intentionally having difficult conversations. So even when it might be uncomfortable for them or when my daughter who's seven, she'll actually say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. You know, and I'm not, it's not that I'm pushing her too far, but sometimes we need to talk about things, even that feel a little bit uncomfortable. And um, I believe that she has a sense and understands that what I do for work is related to some of this stuff that she picks up on and because she can sense that from me and so rather than me kind of like shutting that down or covering it up or avoiding it I just try to really make it easy to talk about it and show her that you know yes mommy does disagree I do disagree with some of the stuff that you're hearing or that you're saying and here's why and so part of that is about the food and the, you know, beliefs about trusting our bodies and having permission to eat. But some of that is also modeling, um, that I have an opinion and I am, and it's okay for me to feel differently than maybe other adults in your life. So a lot of pieces there going on, but Amy and I absolutely did deliberately choose to use this tone. Um, and what we wanted to have parents feel is that we see you and that we get it. Um, and that here is a collection of information and professional expertise and science and lived experience that may help you complete this picture. Um, parents themselves have the questions of like, why am I always dieting and it's never working, right? Mm -hmm. that, that could be an experience that a lot of parents have. So we want to give them kind of like we touched on earlier, but filling in the blanks. We believe that parents deserve to have all of this information about how diet culture is not helpful and how it's harmful. And then they get to end up coming to their own conclusions and deciding how they want to approach this stuff at home with their kids and their families, because there isn't one right way. So that is why we wanted to use the tone that we did. Um, it's just not going to be helpful for someone if they're feeling a sense of shame or blame. And so 
our aim is to help as many kids as we can and as many families as we can. So, yeah, I, I, one of the things that I really picked up on was this kind of direct yet compassionate tone, which flowed from the very first page all the way through. And the, I think the reason I picked it up is because, um, for me, there was lots of opportunities for learning and growth that then also didn't tip into comparison or tip into, uh, you know, the shamey, blamey type of, um, type of uh, mess that, that we can often find ourselves in when reading a book, which is, which is directing us in a particular way, you know, and the, I, I really appreciated that it wasn't, um, it wasn't kind of, so much subtle it was very overt it was very obvious that you were saying we see you we understand we've been there we are still there you know in so many ways and that we understand that this is that this will feel different and there are going to be quite a few aspects of this that you will find challenging because you're a human because you're a human living in diet culture and if you are a parent that that in and of itself is one of our human experiences most difficult tasks is i mean bringing humans into this world and keeping them as safe as possible is um well i don't it's not easy i don't think it's easy at all <laughs> definitely not easy that's not how i would describe it <laughs> Yeah, I think also, you know, and I know that you're very familiar with this and so many of our colleagues and wonderful community members um, will probably relate to this immediately, but it's, it's also how we would work with a family in a room. You know, we know that trust and kindness are essential pieces of helping people and of helping parents. And we know that we can be clear and firm when we need to be, and we also can be honest. And we can also hold in mind that every single parent, you know, I think about every parent that might read this book or every family that I might work with one-on-one -on -one behind closed doors, they all have their own past, their own body story, you know, generations of influence that have come before them. Um, that have brought them right to this very moment. Um, and they're in a lot of pain, right? Yes. So somebody who's looking for a change or who's looking for healing is experiencing suffering and pain. Um, so that's definitely the, the stance. That's where I am when I'm talking to a parent um, and being aware of not getting into this. I know how you should do something, mm -hmm. but rather like, I see you, let's see what we can do to help. Yeah, I love that. Developing that kind of um, an environment where somebody is invited to be more willing to examine what is rather than what should be or what must be or what can't be. And in lots of ways, I guess, for people who are dietitians or health professionals listening, you know, we are really important vehicles for people to be able to do that exploration in a way that encourages them not to turn away but to stay with things as they as they inevitably will be difficult and if we even if we think about our individual clients you know because often when we're um when we're working with somebody who does have children or has young people in their lives you know the work that we do with them is going to impact, we're hoping positively, right? It is going to be impacting um, the, the young people in their lives. So for us, 
you know, um, helping parents almost reparent themselves and be the parent that maybe they needed in their own upbringing with regards to food, eating and bodies. And I tell you what, this book does this beautifully. So um, with that in mind, um, what you and Amy have done uh, just are really, really, I, I, when I'm reading a book, I love like little things to hook onto. And you've done this through the three keys, which provide guidance about some of the more important areas um, to focus on when, when we're supporting our young people. So do you mind stepping us through the, the three keys, please? I would love to. I'll do um, maybe like a mini summary of them and then you can see what comes up that we might wanna touch more on. Um, so the three keys is a way of putting the big pieces of this work together. Um, there is a visual that goes along with it for people who are very visual, which I am. I really needed to have something that I could like see in one place in front of me that was kind of representative of how the things that we do work together, um, if that makes sense. So the keys are not instructions and they are not linear, um, but the first key is provide unconditional love and support for your child's body. Mm -hmm. And we go into a lot of details and examples of what this looks like, but essentially it's really about being mindful and aware of how your child is experiencing your love and support for their body. And the reason why this is the first key is because we believe, and according to the stages of cognitive development, that for a person to develop their own inner trust and their own body appreciation and their own self-care and self-compassion, they really need to have received it from a reliable caregiver and had their needs met from an early age. Now, we know that there's a lot of people that don't get that. So to your point about the opportunity of reparenting or learning to meet all of those needs that we may or may not have had met as a young person is essential in then being able to help your child develop this inner trust and this um, self-appreciation. So in this key, we talk about reducing body shame through direct actions that we can do, but also through modeling our relationship with our own body. We talk about normalizing bodies and proactive body appreciation, ending negative body talk and acknowledging body diversity. Um, so it's really also about seeing our kids. <clears throat> uh, I think diet culture particularly wants us to kind of um, skip that step doesn't want us to really see it wants us to judge it wants us to evaluate it wants us to worry and be anxious and follow rules so what that takes away from us is this really deep seeing and this closeness and this um tuning in so key one talks a lot about how we can do this and yes some of this is about food but so much of it is about tuning into other things that are connected to the eating experience, not just the food. And really it helps parents learn about how we can be very intentional about showing them um, that we love their here and now body, no matter what. Oof. I, th this is one of the keys that I really, sorry, this key is one of the concepts, ideas, um, and topics 
that I haven't seen really well addressed elsewhere, to be honest. And you and Amy have really done a beautiful job of stepping through, first of all, identifying that for many parents and many adults, our own trauma will come into the relationship um, that we have with our own body and that it is unsurprising that it then kind of leaks out, I suppose, into um, the the way that we might approach um, the the bodies of others in our lives and particularly our own children and particularly if there might even be a genetic factor there you know we see maybe um, our own child's body changing in a way that that we hold a very painful memory around that um, in in you know whichever direction that happens to be and that um, what I most appreciate about this key is first of all it invites parents to recognize and soften in to that a little so that we can bolster ourselves and understand where that's coming from and find a kind of a, a, a safer place inside of us so that as we're yeah. you know serving food as we are having conversations about bodies or even you know changing clothes sizes or even that, that practical stuff you know that's so we're able to do that from a place of of gentleness and to understand that that you know often we are entangled in this as well yeah yeah <clears throat> as i'm listening to you talk about it you know it really is kind of that um it is really like a gentle peeling back of the layers mm -hmm. Gentle, I think yeah. some people, I think some people will pick up the book thinking that, you know, it's all about nutrition or all about getting your child to eat their fruits and vegetables, you know, and I do hope that those readers are surprised that this will take them to another place, really a place that is more, more meaningful and therefore more important for them. Yeah, well, in a, in a similar way to um, Elise and Evelyn's original book, Intuitive Eating, um, you know, I did notice that you th that you left gentle nutrition really until the last kind of third or last quarter, and I'm sure that was no mistake. So yeah, it's really I really yeah I really enjoyed seeing some of the the groundwork really being laid before you get to the food and nutrition section, which you have included and have done done beautiful beautifully there um all right so yeah, that actually comes into key two so we're kind oh, of there, there we go <clears throat> very nice all right over to you so key two is implement a flexible and reliable feeding routine many dietitians listening or family feeding experts are going to be really familiar with some of the um heart of this key um, but we also very much um, knew that we needed to emphasize the flexibility piece of this, the importance of the structure, which the structure is really about showing the child infancy and beyond that they can trust that food will be there and that there's a consistency there, that it's not their burden to carry to know where the next meal is coming from or when it's going to be. Um, and so trust and consistency are just completely the foundation of, of key two. And we talk about how parents can be in charge without being controlling and the differences between those two. Um, we need to meet our child's needs for this reliable and consistent food 
while still prioritizing that they have the autonomy and that they have choice. And we know how important these developmental stages are for young children um, and how there will be these compensations and reactions when they're not given opportunity to demonstrate that autonomy. Um, and it's so great to know how many dietitians and eating disorder experts really um, are tuned into this and of course know about this. So um, we, can do both of those things though, right? We can support modeling flexibility while also having some pretty good boundaries around the structure, especially for younger kids. So key two kind of fleshes this out because when we started writing this, we thought, all right, this is kind of feeling confusing to explain this to people that the structure is really important, but, it, but not without the flexibility. And the flexibility is a piece that just gets left behind so much in these conversations. And then kind of parents can feel very stuck or still very binary with like, what's right, what's wrong? What do I do here? We do a lot of bringing people into, what do you think you need to do? Or what would feel right for you? Or what do you, looking at your child and being responsive to their needs, um, what is it that your child needs rather than thinking about what's right or wrong with whatever feeding question there? looking to address yeah. and then Keith. oh no I was sorry. just going to say that it's um you know so much of um parenting oh, I'll just call it support but really we should call it like advice um so much of parent related or family related support is really around what you should be should or should not be doing right you know from really I was going to say from the day that our babies are born, but probably it comes earlier than that, really, all, all during pregnancy. And there's a lot of food related and body related anxieties through the whole process. So, you know, um, like you were speaking to, it can become the intuitive eating diet or the or the let's be more flexible, but be rigid about the flexibility almost, which I know sounds like an oxymoron, but I see it all the time where mm -hmm. we're still aiming for this place where we feel like we should be, as opposed to like you're speaking to being responsive to what maybe even not what our individual child needs. Sometimes it's about the family, you know, what's going to work well for a family. And often in families, there's going to be competing needs. Um, or just different needs based on, you know, individual factors as well as, um, you know, ages and where we are, what we're doing, who we're with, what's available to us, um, even economic factors and ge geographical factors and, you know, being snowed in and which means that you can't go to the store to get your milk, you know, things like that. So it's, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the real emphasis on that structure and flexibility, which is very, you know, that, that comes from the heart. Yeah. So it ended up being such a cool parallel throughout the book. Now that it's finished, we can see that as we are informing parents on how to be flexible with their kids and compassionate to their kids, we're also doing that as we are uh, relating to the reader that yeah. we want to be you know, we want to be flexible with them, get them out of the binary thinking, help them know that there's a thousand options instead of two, you know, really strip away at this right and wrong kind of thinking. So hopefully parents who are reading it, who are stuck in some black and white thinking around food, 
are having their own experience as they're learning about what they can do to help their kids with this. Yeah, love it. All right, we're on to key number three. So key number three is develop and use your intuitive eating voice. And we say that the intuitive eating voice is the vehicle that we have to deliver the intuitive eating message to our kids. And we actually say this in the book that we don't really recommend parents are sitting down and explicitly doing any teaching at all or any telling to kids. So you don't even need to use the words intuitive eating with them. It's so much more about your actions and your responsiveness and the care with which you decide to slow down and use your words mindfully around food and body talk really with intention. And the intuitive eating voice is both the verbal things that we're saying um, and the nonverbal communication. And it's also the voice that we are using when we're referencing our own eating and our own body, not just how we are referencing our child's eating and our child's body. So there's these two parts of this. There's this concept that on the individual level, um, we are hoping that a child will develop their own inner intuitive eater voice over time from what they're hearing and what they're sensing. And then on the relational level, your intuitive eating voice alone in the moment and in your home and in your relationship offers safety and trust and reassurance and is this example of this positive relationship with food and body. So it's both in the moment, how we're doing this and what that feels like for the child. And then it's this picture of over time that develops into their own intuitive eating voice. Mm. I love the, the way that you kind of step through the development of the inner voice and how we can support and bolster our own experiences as adults, um, you know, to, to move forward in our own relationships using this. Essentially, it's not only self-talk, is it? You talk about values, you talk about using your body as a resource. You know, I, I just love how you've brought in all these skills that we can draw upon, which build and develop this sense of trust and wisdom and that I have what I need in this moment. You know, and and yes, I will mess it up in whatever way, shape and form because I'm a human being. But the the kind of the the development of self-compassion, you know, that that gentleness um, and I mean, there's a tiny sidestep here, but um, Kristen Neff's latest book, Fierce Self-Compassion, it reminds me a lot of the tone that we've been talking about, you know, that kind of direct take myself by the hand um, and that kind of um, really steady, firm part of us that we can use as part of our inner, as part of our intuitive eating voice, and then also that gentle, compassionate, forgiving, softening, um, being with voice that we can hopefully then introduce to the rest of the family. Yeah, it's this balance, right? Of it's it's not um, so much self compassion that. Um, it doesn't matter, or it doesn't matter what I'm doing, or I don't have to change, or I don't want to change. It's this like holding yourself accountable while also knowing that it's a process and it takes time and you're going to be doing this for 15 years. And then you're going to tell your child that they're going to be sent to bed 
without dinner. Out of nowhere. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <Whoops>. So <laughs> there's some honesty for you. Oh, Sumna, I would not expect anything less from you. You, it, there's not oh goodness, you know, we've known each other for a number of years now and your, your, um, capacity to be both so humble and, um, so honest with your own experiences is just really inspiring for, for all of us in our community. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. It wouldn't come without a Sumner parenting story. That's for sure. <laughs> um, true. So this brings us really beautifully to one of the final chapters and I know I've kind of been waxing lyrical about the whole book, but I've got to say this final chapter for me was the real cherry on top. And that is entitled what to do when this feels harder than you thought. And what I thought was so clever about this is that in being able to kind of forecast some of the most common roadblocks that people might face along the way, you really offer a, a, a kind of a solid place for people to come back to when they recognize that, oh, this is not an ABC one, two, three. This is, you know, an A, J, B, D, T, F, maybe Z or Z, you know, <laughs> and whatever the Z or Z is, you know, there isn't actually a kind of a place to get to. So, um, so, so tell us a little bit about this chapter. I mean, it's no mistake that it's kind of last there, but it's a solid, it's a really solid chapter. It's not two pages. It's a, you know, a solid dozen pages or so. Um, yeah. So, so, so why that kind of ending do you think? Yeah, I think what we didn't want to do was set up sort of this expectation that there's, oh, there's just these three keys and this is really simple and this is going to, you know, this is going to change everything, but rather that like, this is a beginning, this is an opportunity. Um, and along the same lines of what we've sort of been touching on already, which is, um, <clears throat> you know, we're all human here and we're all just doing the best that we can with parenting. And, and the thing that we all have in common, no matter what stage we're at, is that we are living in a world that is pushing back against all of this, um, that is creating a lot of difficulty and a lot of barriers. And those barriers look different for everyone, but we're all going to face them at one point or another. Um, and so as we are you know, hoping to offer some protection and, and raise our kids in a way that helps them know their worth and believe in themselves, um, that we don't control all of the factors and we never will. And that's a really um, tragic feeling um, thing to notice sometimes people, and I don't, we don't want people to feel alone in that. We don't want people to feel like they're the only ones that, you know, couldn't make it happen or didn't do it right. Or that somehow that they're to blame for any sort of outcome. You know, this is a really difficult culture to be living in. Um, it makes it really, um, close to impossible for some people to feel like a level of, um, progress or, uh, you know, achievement in some of these areas. And mostly we just want people to know that they're not alone and we're all going through this together. And I think that's what that chapter is about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in, um, in some ways, you know, um, there are some parallels here between, 
um, families who perhaps have experienced an eating disorder or complex mental health in the family and then may also have a a, a child or a young person in the family who does develop an eating disorder, you know, um, that in eating disorder recovery, we, we do talk about, um, we do talk about roadblocks. We do talk about what do we do when times get tough? Because those of us who work in the eating disorder spaces know that, you know, recovery is not linear. I've been working alongside both people and professionals for 20 years. I have never seen a linear recovery ever. <laughs> you know, there's, there's always, um, I wouldn't even say backwards and forwards, really. I mean, it's not even that's, that's I guess that's not how I frame it. It's more that the the pathway has so many learning points associated with things we didn't see before, things that are important for us to learn or overcome or soften into or accept or, you know, all the different facets of, you know, being able to come back to ourselves. Um, but yeah, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is such a beautiful parallel to how we would talk about diet culture recovery. Oh, well, or, or yeah, what, however we want to frame that or eating disorder recovery. It's like, no, this is not a linear thing. Things will get tough or like parenting, things will get tough. How can we be there for ourselves when, not if, but when? things get tough. Yeah, things get tough. That's right. And when you have even just a few things that you can turn to, like maybe you're just a little less self-blaming or you're able to see the bigger picture um, or you have some values to really ground into, those things can really make that journey feel different even though it's just your journey, we don't control it. We don't know where we're really going, but it's like, we've got, we do, we have a little bit more armor. We have a little bit more community. We have um, maybe some different beliefs that are setting in that feel helpful and help us stay connected to what really matters. So it's just so different, you know, than, um, I mean, you laugh at like how many self-help books and like how to books, you know, made un unintentionally just set you right up for that big F. And um, we didn't actually choose the title of this book that we had nothing to do with it. Um, you know, it works, but I don't love everything about a how-to book. It might not have been my first choice, um, but that's what it is. And so I think we just both, we care so much about what is in this book and how it's mm -hmm. received. and. Um, we just wanted to be honest and we want people to feel seen. Yes. Well, that certainly was achieved tenfold. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm so curious if you felt willing, um, what would you have liked the title to be? Like what, if, if you were naming this from your heart, like what would you have liked it to be? Oh, wow. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that in the last two years after it was decided <laughs> for us. Um, it's hard because it's hard to find a select grouping of words that really encompasses what this is. Um, I think that we felt pretty good about going with um, body confidence and food confidence. Yeah, I like that. 
as, as really, um, you know, something to depict how we hope our kids can feel with food and their bodies. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. I'll have to think on that a little bit. Mm, <laughs> Not sure. Build body confidence and break down, break down the diet bullshit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you You're go. With You're welcome. <laughs> well, you know Version that I two. love a good title. <laughs> yes, you're much better at that than I am. Well, oh I don't my. know if just... I'm be better at it, but I, but I, but I really, I do. For some reason, I just love. Um, well, actually, not so much with books. I've got to say, although you know, perhaps. But more, for example, when I'm going to a, um, um, when I'm going to a conference or when I'm reading a paper or something, I like for the title to be both informative. I don't mind a little bit of wordplay as long as it's not <clears throat> contributing to um, oppressive, oppressive structures or, you know, um, you know, cut it, cutting down a particular group of people, as long as it's kind of clever wordplay as opposed to, um, you know, perpetuating all the crap that we're trying to dismantle here. But, um, Sure. Anyway, got to anyway. keep it interesting. Got to keep it interesting. Yeah, in academia. We, oh my god. Yeah. I mean, we're, we are hearing a lot of you know. You hear a lot of diet culture, diet culture, diet culture, diet culture, and it's just you know you have to have words that kind of grab all of this, which is just this huge like Oof. mass of systems and experiences, and it's so much. I mean, this the book is so dense. It's just really deep. We wrote a book that was twice this long and had to edit out half of it. Um, there's oh my so goodness. much. <laughs> oh, that's really, oh, I actually had a visceral reaction when you said that, because I was like, yeah. that is my nightmare. Like write however many hundreds of thousands of words I imagine, and then have to pair that back. Ugh, yikes. Yeah. So thankful for great editors Editing. who can do that work and make some decisions <laughs> yes they are magicians editors are magicians when it comes to words and phrasing because you know sometimes I'm going to speak for myself sometimes I can be shall we say effusive with my words <laughs> so you know some read it's a talent yeah well yeah it's a, okay I accept I accept that thank you <laughs> Um, Sumner, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you. This book, uh, I believe it should be on every dietitian's, health professionals and parents and anybody working with young people on, on the bookshelf. It really is a book that you can keep coming back to. The chapters are bite-sized. They're not massive, massive. You, know, you can really come back to um, the various sections, especially if, um, if no, when. We're, we're, we are hitting those roadblocks that you um, that you point out so compassionately towards the end of the book. So um, I wish you well. You have just in a few days, you have the launch. So I can't wait to I'm going to be speaking with you towards the end of January at one of your live book launch events. So I'll pop some um, I'll pop a link to that. But there is actually going to be four um, four events for the launch. Do you want to tell Tell um, listeners a little bit about the, the launch itself and, um, and then where people can find you and the book, please. 
I would love to. Thank you. And just thank you for all your kind words and all your support. I know you got to <clears throat> kind of witness me going through the ups and the downs of writing this in 2020. Um, so you've just been so supportive and I really appreciate it. So you can learn more about the book or order the book or read a few reviews at intuitiveeatingforkids.com. And the four is the number four. So intuitiveeatingforkids.com. And then if you are interested in our virtual book tour that's happening in January, you can go to events and you can sign up for any of the virtual book talks. We are really excited for some conversations with Elise Resch and Allison Gerber, who wrote Taking Up Space, which is a fantastic book, and Virginia Soul Smith and you, Fiona. Um, and then we also have a live um, event that's happening in Washington, which I know a lot of your listeners, unfortunately, won't be able to make it up to Bellingham, Washington, but we're excited about that too. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find out more about it. All of these events are free. We're just kind of celebrating and discussing and giving some books away and having a good time. Oof, that sounds so amazing. I am exceedingly envious of the live event. I would... Uh, I would give a lot to be able to be there. But unfortunately, well, I think actually in a couple of weeks, the flights between Australia and the US are recommencing, which is very exciting. A little bit scary, mm -hmm. if I've got to say, a little tiny bit overwhelming. Um, but uh, even if I literally wanted to be there, I don't think I could be feeling very sad and yes, very envious of that. But I we'll do make wish up you well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no doubt. Uh, I do wish you well for this launch period. And, um, and also I wanted to mention too, if you wanted to know more about EDRD Pro, then that is the website has all the information you will need, including um, monthly webinars and round tables with amazing guests, um, courses, there's a DBT and RODBT course coming up and um, past courses around um, feeding and kind of FBT and um, FBT um, infused dietetic work and um, a course on binge eating disorder, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, help me out, I'm missing one. Arfids. Arford, thank you. I loved the Arford course, loved it. The response in feeding therapy. Um, with amazing guests. So don't miss that one if you're if you're interested in this particular topic. Uh, so again, thank you so much, Sumner. Really appreciate you. I really appreciate Amy, who was a previous podcast guest. I spoke to her when this book idea was just born. And so we spoke about that. the idea of it. Yeah, it was super cool. Mm -hmm. Super cool. So here we are. Um, have yeah. a wonderful rest of your day. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Wishing you well. Oh, Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And just, we are so appreciative of our community that's been excited for this book with us. So that just means the world. So thanks so much. Thanks again, Sumna. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone. Mm -hmm.